0: You will turn with me to a few scriptures. The theme of uh, this time together this year is Thy Kingdom Come. And um, my uh, responsibility is the Gospel of the Kingdom, the good news of the Kingdom. I would like to turn you to a few scriptures in the Gospel of, of Matthew Chapter 4, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, and verse 23. And Jesus went about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of disease and all manner of sickness among the people. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, Matthew chapter 9 verse 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of disease and all manner of sickness. And then chapter 24, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, in verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a testimony unto all the nations, and then shall the end come. Shall we bow together in the Word of God? Lord we are so thankful that we are able to meet in this simple way in your presence. We thank you that we are gathering together not to a place nor supremely uh, to a place nor supremely to a people but we are gathering together to yourself. And Lord as we are found here in your presence this evening we want to ask that you will graciously endow us with the Holy Spirit, both in the speaking and in the hearing. We need you, Lord. We can hear many truths. We can outline and outline truths. We can hear truths. We can learn much academically. But Lord, what we need in these days is to meet with you. We need your word to come and dwell in us richly, in all wisdom. We need that implanted word, that word which will take root in us and will grow up and bear much fruit. To that end, Lord, we thank you that you have provided us with all that we need for this conference. And this, our opening time together, By faith we stand into that anointing, both for my speaking and for our hearing, that, Lord, you will wonderfully, deeply, fully meet all our needs this night, be manifested in our weakness, my weakness in speaking and our weakness in hearing, that, Lord, it may be your word that is spoken and your word that is heard and received. We give ourselves afresh to you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. I would like to plunge immediately into this subject of the kingdom of God. There are many errors that are at present being um, propagated over the kingdom of God. Many things that must bring grief and pain to those of us who love the Lord and who long above everything else that his kingdom shall come. We, above all people, those of us who are born of God, should have an experience of the kingdom of God. For us, the kingdom of God has arrived. It has come in our hearts. It has brought us into a union with God through the Messiah, Jesus. It has brought us into a marvelous experience of eternal life and an ever-deepening discovery of those unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus. That fathomless fullness of God. But of course, there is a kingdom that is going to come outwardly. First and foremost it must come inwardly to us as individuals and as the church of God. We must know in our experience the rule of God. We must know the reign of Of the Lord Jesus. We must be truly and genuinely led. By the spirit of God. But there is coming a day. When the kingdom of God. Will come literally. And when the kingdom of this world. Will become the kingdom of God. And of his Messiah. Forever. I don't know how far away that day is. I suspect that we are very near to it. All the signs on every side seem to point to the coming, finally, of the kingdom of God. It is a literal kingdom that is coming. It is a literal king that is coming. It is the very same Jesus who walked this earth for 33 years, whose feet are again going to stand upon this earth. Very sadly, amongst many Christians, because we want to be truly spiritual and to know the Lord spiritually, we've almost made the Lord Jesus the Spirit of God. As if he is, may I put it reverently, faceless. As if he has no human form. As if he will never again walk as a human being. But the Lord Jesus is the Son of Man forever. He is God's Messiah. And one day he's coming back literally. You will actually will be a human being, even with marks in his hands, and in his side, and in his feet. It is the same Jesus. It is wonderful to consider this, because if the Lord Jesus is literally coming back as the Son of Man, as the Messiah, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as king of the Jews, king of Israel, as head of the church, and the kingdom king with him is also a literal kingdom. He is going to extend that rule of God to the ends of the earth, and all the nations are going to come under his government and under the righteousness and justice and mercy of his government. Now, once we begin to understand that, we can start to talk about a whole number of other matters. What does this word kingdom mean? Now, I have to say straight away, and I don't want to tread on anybody's corns, that here in the United States, I am not at all sure that there is any understanding of a kingdom. If only it could say the Republic of God is going to come. I think perhaps you would understand a little better. It is very hard for people who've been brought up in the Republican tradition. um, And I'm not saying it's wrong. I mean, that's another matter altogether. I'm not going into that. Um, The fact of the matter is, a kingdom is a kingdom. And it is very hard for some who are in a republic to understand what a kingdom is. What is this word which is used again and again and again, not only throughout the New Testament, but throughout the Old Testament. Everywhere you turn, you will hear about the kingdom of God and the proclamation of this kingdom. All the prophets spoke of this kingdom of God. The kings... To David in particular, it was promised that this kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. To Daniel, in one of the greatest empires, the greatest and the capital of that greatest empire in the world at the time, God spoke to him about an everlasting kingdom. And the day would come, the Lord said, through Daniel, when the saints shall possess the kingdom. Oh, this is everywhere we find it in the word of God. But what does the word mean? For some people, it is a question of territory. They just think of a kingdom as something to do with territory. It is bounded by borders, as it were. That is a kingdom. Just as we would speak of the United Kingdom, which does not include the Republic of Ireland. It is... England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland, and its proper name is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And the moment you hear of this United Kingdom, you think of territory. It is not in the North American continent, it is not on the Asian continent, it is not on the African continent, it is the United Kingdom. But that is only one aspect of the word kingdom. We cannot understand that every time God uses the word kingdom, he's just talking about territory. As if he is saying the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But there is something far more to the kingdom than mere territory. It is not simply that territory over which the king rules, over which the throne has absolute authority. That is one aspect, one very important and fundamental aspect of the word kingdom. But actually, the word kingdom could be, we could understand it in another way, it is the throne. And when we speak of the kingdom, we're speaking of the throne. Not just a king, of course, in our connection, it is the king, and the only king. But actually, when we're talking about a kingdom such as the United Kingdom, it can have been ruled by all kinds of kings and queens down to the years. But we are speaking of the throne, of the whole principle of authority, of the whole principle of rule, of a national policy, of a national character, a national constitution, if you like. That's the kingdom. So when we speak and in read in the Word of God, of the kingdom, thy kingdom come. It's not only we're talking about territory, it's not only that we're talking about the extension, the, we're talking about the rule of God, we're talking about the reign of God, we're talking about that constitution, as it were, of God, that that uh, constitution that is produced by His purpose by His word and by His will. Mr. Sparks, Austin Sparks, Theodore Austin Sparks, used to always prefer another word for this. And I must say that it has helped me more than anything else. He used to substitute the word kingship for kingdom. Because in the Greek, it does not just and only mean a territory or even a rule. It's a combination of ideas. So he used to say, thy kingship come. And he used to, to speak of that word, fear not, little flock. It is your the father's good pleasure to give you the kingship. Now, I think if you begin to understand like that, suddenly a whole lot of things begin to fall into place. Seek ye first the kingship of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. For me, it is not... Absolutely the best word, but at least it does bring us much nearer to the heart of this whole meaning of the word kingdom, kingship, the rule and reign of God, and the character of God in his reign and rule, as well as all that he reigns over. Once we begin to see that, then we have uh, the beginning, the, the first glimmer, as it were, of an understanding of this whole matter of the kingdom. Because immediately you will see that if you and I have an argument with the kingship of the Lord Jesus, then we can talk till we're blue in the face about the kingdom of God. But actually we're living in contradiction to it. If you and I are not prepared to surrender to the kingship of God. If we're not prepared unconditionally, unreservedly. To commit all that we are and all that we have to that kingship. It's no good talking about the coming kingdom. It's no good saying oh how wonderful it will be when the kingdom comes. If the kingship of God has not first come to us. If you and I have not come literally, relevantly, practically under his kingship. If you have come with me thus far, I would like to move to a second point. This matter of the kingship of God, the kingdom of God, lies at the root of world history. Actually, the whole of world history, either negatively or positively, is related to the kingship of God. All recorded history is the record of a challenge to God's kingship. A satanic challenge to the kingship of God. This explains history. It explains why man, with all his genius and with all his creativity, always falls short. Every time he seems to be bringing in a new golden age, a new utopia, it turns to ashes in his hands and becomes a prison house, a dungeon. From Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, we discover this matter of dominion, of authority, of kingship, kingdom. When God first created Adam and Eve, almost the very first words he said to them was, have dominion. And in that psalm, 8, that amazing psalm, we have almost a profound, A prophetic revelation from God concerning his whole purpose for man. This is how it goes. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him but little lower than God. And crownest him with glory and honor. Thou makest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Right. At the very beginning of world history, right at the very beginning, as it were, of the creation of the universe, we find within the heart of God a purpose for mankind. It is not only that you and I should come under the kingship of God, but that we should exercise the kingship of God. But another has entered the arena. And that other has challenged God and poisoned mankind. And the challenge is totally to the kingship of God. Now, whenever we turn, we find this enemy of God... Everywhere from Genesis chapter 3 right the way through to Revelation 20, we find the story of this great adversary of God, this great enemy of God. In that amazing prophetic word in, in Isaiah and chapter 14, this is how it is put in verse 13 and 14. And thou saidst in thy heart. This is the, the um, uh, prophecy concerning Lucifer. And thou saidst in thy heart. I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the Mount of Congregation in the outermost parts of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Here then, whatever academic problems you may have. Is a revelation from God. That at the very beginning a poison entered into mankind. How it happened. How it was permitted. How why is another matter. But the fact remains that into this world came a poison. And a challenge to the kingship of God. And then wherever we turn. In the whole Bible. We find that we have the record of this challenge. Think Immediately of some of these other things. I think for instance of this wonderful word in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. Delivered. You have been delivered from the power of darkness. What a word. Power of darkness. Authority of darkness. And transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son. Power of darkness, so we are born into that power of darkness, born with links to that power of darkness, born with chains that chain us to that power of darkness and only by the grace of God when something happens to us and we are Saved by the grace of God, are we delivered from that power of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's dear Son? Or I think of these other words that we have, mysterious words. Jesus referred, not once, but again and again to the prince of this world. Oh, that's a very interesting title, prince of this world. He didn't just call him an imposter. He said the prince of this world. That speaks of some authority, some kind of status. It is a challenge. I think of another word of another apostle by the Spirit of God, John. In 1 John 5 and 19 he said these words that must surely be almost fathomless in their meaning, but explain so much in world history. The whole world lieth in the evil one. The whole world lieth in the evil one. And I, oh, you know, I, I don't know whether you find this too heavy for a first night, but it, it's to me amazing, because Here, you, and I, this is where we all began. I don't care who you are, what you are, what kind of family you came from, Jew, Gentile, what you are. The fact of the matter is we all began here. We all began in this darkness. We all began in this bondage. We all began here until God, by his grace, shone into our hearts and delivered us out of this power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Well, there are so many other things I think of that wonderful cry in the book of Revelation. Whatever interpretation we may give to it, what a wonderful cry it is in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15 and the seventh angel sounded and there followed great voices in heaven and they said, the kingdom of the world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he shall reign forever and ever. And chapter 12 and verse 10 again. Now is come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down who accuseth them before our God day And night. Oh, here we discover little you and little me. We are introduced into a conflict we hardly understand. We suddenly find, because by the grace of God we've been saved, that we have been catapulted, as it were, into an enormous conflict. We hardly understand the dimensions of this conflict. We hardly understand exactly what it's all about, except that the moment a person is saved by the grace of God, they find all kinds of things come out against them. Every kind of thing is going to try and trip them up. Why should it be? You've sided with God. Surely everything should be a bed of roses. Everything should be absolutely well. You should be carried on beds of ease into the kingdom of God. But no, we find all as if the whole world is against us. It is put in another way, through much tribulation, we shall enter into the kingdom of God. Why this tribulation? Why all this opposition? Why this antagonism? Unless the enemy cannot bear anybody who's being transferred. <laughs> he cannot bear the thought that you have been taken out of his authority and placed under the the authority of God and of his Messiah. When you begin to understand that, it it makes sense to the whole conflict, an an age-long conflict, an ages-long conflict. Consider Psalm 2. Here we have, at the very beginning of the Psalter, a psalm that everyone, both rabbis and church scholars, have called a messianic psalm. I'm sure you all know it very well. Why do the nations rage and the peoples imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Messiah, saying, let us break their bonds asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He will have them in derision. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. What a psalm! It's a window! Into an ages long conflict. Beginning in Genesis. Ending in the book of Revelation. And you and I are in it. By the grace of God. And if we are in it. Not because we had anything in ourselves. But because we belong to the Lord Jesus. Then victory is assured. If we will only come under his kingship. We are invincible. If we come under the kingship of God. But if we have an argument with the kingship of God, if we have an argument with the kingship of the Lord Jesus, then we shall find, saved though we shall be, we lose everything. We do not come to the throne. We do not come to kingship in our own lives. We've lost our inheritance, but not our salvation. My dear friend. I find this psalm an unbelievable psalm. What does it mean? Why? No wonder the psalm I've many a times thought myself. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples imagine vain things? I live in a part of the world where it is exactly true. They are unbelievable with their vanity. All around us, screaming things. that It has no sense. It makes no they It doesn't have any relationship to the truth. What's wrong with them, one asks. Why all this turmoil? Why all this conflict? But it is something to do with the kingship of God. It is something to do with the kingdom of God. It is something to do with the king of God. God's king. God's Messiah. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord laughs? I love it. He laughs. We get all upset and bothered. And, that you ought to build deep shelters. And get stored up food and all the rest of it. For all the things that are coming. But the Lord laughs. He has them in derision. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. The purpose of God is established. The king, God's king, is in his place. Nothing can reach him or touch him or overthrow him. We are in the train of his triumph. How stupid we are. How stupid we are. Instead of realizing that we're in the train of the triumph of God's king, of God's messiah who is at the right hand of the majesty on high. We have arguments all the time. We have to be dragged into the will of God. God has to go to the most amazing ways of manipulating us to get us even to do simple things that are his will. Isn't it sad? Don't you think so? And if you're thinking of somebody else, why don't you think about yourself? <sighs> because that's true of all of us. We sit there thinking, oh, I hope so and listening to this. They need it. They need it. But in actual fact, we're all stupid when it comes to it. We spend our time arguing with the Lord, misreading God's purpose and word for us, misunderstanding his way for us, misunderstanding his motives in leading us. It is amazing how clever the enemy is. To have injected a poison into us. That we need to be clear of. But so often we allow to stay. Within our lives. Within our circumstances. Within our homes. Within our relationships. And thus. Satan has ground. Not like the Lord Jesus. When he said the prince of this world. Comes and he has, has no ground in me. Would to God. We could say such a thing. He has no ground. In me. This marvelous psalm then. My dear friends. Can you bear with me a moment. Or two longer on this matter. Before I come to a third point And last point. Everything. Listen carefully. Every single thing. In the divine program. Is at present on time it is not a minute behind and not a minute before it's all on time I think that's amazing I think that's absolutely amazing it gives me enormous comfort at a time when we could be very confused and when I know many believers are even more confused than I am there is no confusion with the Lord Everything that's happening in this world is on time. It is absolutely according to the divine program. Praise the Lord. That gives me courage to believe that when the time comes which no man knows, neither the angels nor even the Son of Man, but only the Father, when that moment comes... For the son to begin his journey back with the kingdom of God, it will be on time. Not a minute before, not a minute behind. It will be absolutely on time. This present world situation, the moves toward a world government, I don't have any doubt about it. I know many people are very confused by what has happened in the Soviet Union. They've always thought that that the Kremlin was the Antichrist. And that somehow or other that was the power that was going to cover the whole earth. caused by military power. And bring the persecution in Russia and Eastern Europe and China to the whole world. And now suddenly... It's all breaking up, so many believers write to me, telephone me, and they say, Don't you think it's a fraud? Don't you think that Mr. Gorbachev is just blinding everybody, and he's going to suddenly attack the United States? It's possible. It's possible, because Mr. Gorbachev, whatever you think about him, is still a communist. And a dedicated communist. But the fact of the matter is this. The Soviet Union has no money. (laughs) It has no money at all. It is unable. Do you think they wanted to get out of Eastern Europe? Do you think they wanted to get out of Afghanistan? The point is God in his marvelous word, just like Nebuchadnezzar has spoken the word. And the whole thing is in the process of breaking up. And now believers are all confused. Well, what about about the Antichrist? Where is the Antichrist going to come from? Well, the Antichrist may come from a place and from a source that may surprise you. I don't know where the Antichrist is going to come. I have some suspicions. (laughs) I know others may be more expert in this matter than I, but all I know is this. What? Has happened within a few months. Suddenly, it started in Poland. It went from Poland to Hungary, from Hungary to Bulgaria, from Bulgaria to Eastern Germany. From Eastern Germany to Czechoslovakia. From Czechoslovakia to Romania. And suddenly the whole of Europe was free. For the very first time ever, Romania televised a whole Christmas Eve service to the whole nation. For the first time ever in 71 years, the Kremlin allowed a Christian service to be televised from, from the whole extent of the Soviet Union on the Orthodox Christmas Eve and allowed the bells of the Kremlin to ring in the new year for the first time in 71 years now my dear friends what we are witnessing is something amazing because it's going to move to a world government what is going to happen is this that the western world has got to do something somehow or other to bring in some kind of peace for the world and to stop the possibility of war I don't know all the Be foolish to even predict, but one thing I am quite sure God's program is on time. I don't have any doubt that the emergence of the EEC, the common market, as the biggest single force in the world, is already begun. And now the great question is will Eastern Europe be included? Will Hungary? Will Czechoslovakia? Will Poland? Will Yugoslavia be actually included in this mammoth new United States of Europe? It is amazing to see all that is happening. On the one side, for the first time, the gospel is being preached in the streets in Prague. Do you know that the president of Prague is a friend of one of my friends? And when they were in prison together, he prayed every day with him in the exercise hour in the prison yard. He is a believer. Do you know that the Prime Minister of Poland is an observant, committed Catholic believer? It is unbelievable what is happening. Now, I must be careful because I, I, uh, we, we shall digress on this whole matter and I, and I don't want to digress. I want to keep to the point. But the fact of the matter is, it is quite amazing. My dear friend, there were two nations in this world That were empowered and inspired by a pagan spirit. In the beginning of the 30s. One was Japan. And the other was Germany. Both of them spoke of a new world order. Japan for Asia. Nazi Germany for Europe. And both of them sought by military means to bring that new world order into being Adolf Hitler with his Reich of a thousand years. And Japan, with its uh, master race, they were both pagans, both of them were defeated. And then we have witnessed the most amazing thing. They have become almost the supreme economic powers in the post-Second World War period. And now it seems as if these two nations are once again poised not to take the world by military means not even to be nationalistic but the same pagan spirit is permeating as it were, through them to try and influence the whole of world society. It is a very interesting thing that when the United States could not shore up Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union with money because of her weakness in that way she called upon Germany to do so but Germany couldn't do so because she He's more interested in reuniting with Eastern Germany. And so Germany called in Japan. And when the Prime Minister of Japan came, he came first to Bonn before he went to all the Eastern European capitals. And do you know what? He said he gave a most amazing speech that in days to come will probably be one of those watershed speeches. He said, we are on the brink of a new world order. My dear friends, I may be wrong in much of what I've said but at least I think I'm right in this Something is happening like an enormous convulsion in the whole of world society, both in Asia and in Europe, everywhere we see the turmoils of this society. And all, as always, with these great convulsions, these great shakings, these great turmoils, and tumults, out of it will come beasts. It has always been In the history of the world. Why? Because it is a satanic challenge. It is fallen man. That wants to bring in. Satanically inspired demonized. To bring in a utopia. A golden age. Without God. And without God's Messiah. Whether I'm wrong on the details. Upon that matter. I think I can be absolutely dogmatic. This is the challenge... Now, my dear friends, there's much else I could talk about in this whole matter. I think one of the most amazing things, and I will only just mention it in passing, is that suddenly, in the midst of all this turmoil, in all this convulsion, in all this change that's taking place, and mark you, when I was here last year, shows I'm no prophet. I had no idea at all about any of this. And I don't suppose most of you did either, so we've all in this together. We've all been taken by surprise by the whole thing the whole world and here we are I come from a little nation in with enormous problems facing huge crises and in the midst of it at the time most inopportune at a time when everything should humanly speaking cancel out any such possibility, the greatest immigration in our history is taking place. 1,115,000 Soviet Jews have applied for visas to come to Israel. But it's not just that. Suddenly, 10,000 Ethiopian Jews have applied for visas. 10,000 Romanian Jews have applied for visas. 2,000 French families have applied for visas. As if suddenly God is breathing upon all the, or the Choose them to Jasper, not the ones in America. But uh, all over the West, he's breathing upon them, and suddenly something is happening, and they're coming back home. It is unbelievable. We haven't got the homes for them, we haven't got the jobs for them, we have got the most impossible economy. We have a bureaucracy that is Eastern European in its spirit. This, if you'd ask me, When will this exodus to... You know the Bible says there will come a day when an exodus will come from the north country that will eclipse the exodus from Egypt. You say, when will it happen? I would have said you will not yet. We have an enthapha. We have this. We have that. We have the other. We have a hopeless economy. We've got a very weak government. I don't know we've got threats from, from the president of Iraq about incinerating us and gassing us I don't think there's anyone this is not the time and God laughs in the heavens he has all in derision he speaks the word says to the north give up and it gives it up to the south keep not back and they keep not back and it all happens surely that means only one thing the kingdom of God must be near Everything in the divine programs on time. This is no mistake. I I I have known believers, Christians, uh, non-Jews, who've gone to the Soviet Union trying to get these folks to come. And it's been like hitting their head on a brick wall. They don't want to come. Do you know they're so assimilated that most of the men are not even circumcised? Most of them in Jerusalem are being circumcised sixty a week. They're not even they don't understand the first thing about Jewishness, they're not the first thing about Passover or anything else, they don't understand what we're talking about. They never wanted to come back. If they wanted to come any, they wanted to come here. This was the promised land. United States? Wanted to come to us? And then God blew on it all. And suddenly, it all happens, my dear friends. It has to be that God is in this thing. Now, come back. Now, come back to this whole matter of the Gospel of the King. I've talked about a challenge to the kingship of God. We've said something about the meaning of the word kingdom. But now consider the good news. You know this word gospel. I'm always rather sad about gospel. I mean, either we associate it with kind of soul music. (laughs) Or we we associate it many people who have not been brought up in Christian circles with barnstorming preachers. Or fraudulent preachers who preach the gospel and then send the plate down. <laughs> or we think of it as just something that is not quite right. But gospel means good news the good news of God's kingship. The good news of the kingship of God, of the kingdom of God. Well, what is this good news? Well, let me, I'm, I'm only going to touch on this because in the next time I talk about the gospel, I want to talk about it more fully. So I'll just touch on it. And here it is. God has never given up on his original purpose. To have his king in his place, his kingdom on earth. Did you hear that? God has never given up on his original purpose. For his king and for his kingdom. No matter if the whole world is demonized. No matter if all the nations become a fury of antagonism. God has never given up. But now listen to this. Nor has he given up on his original purpose for man to share in that kingship. He has not thrown in the glove. He has not seen what a mess mankind is. He hasn't given up over the difficulties he has with believers, my dear friends. Every one of us is a nuisance. I've always had the greatest sympathy with Moses. And one day I shall say to Moses, oh, "I'm so thankful the Lord chose him to lead the people of God through the wilderness and not me. I wouldn't have just broken the stick; I would have broken the rock as well. I'm sure." <laughs> I get so irritated with God's people at times that I I, I know I'm a nuisance. And I have to continually remind myself I'm a nuisance to God. It is amazing to me that the Lord loves you and me so much that he saved us, nuisance and all. Let's get this quite clear. In spite of this modern type gospel preaching, which almost sounds as if you're doing a favor to side with God. You know, it's like a kind of election thing. Please vote for the Lord, the President. (laughs) It's a kind of loose, superficial thing. It is not the gospel that we find here in the book, which proclaimed that God was king. And that the only right way to approach God was with humility and repentance. That was the gospel preached in the beginning. But in spite of this idea, you know, we've got, we get the idea that we're doing the Lord a great favor, siding with him. He should be so pleased. He should fall over himself doing everything for us because we've, we've, we've given up everything, you know. <laughs> I mean, just to go with him, it's not so popular. My dear friends, what a difference it is. To that old time gospel preaching. In which people wept for hours. Over their sins. Wept over their lost estate. And wept their way. Into the kingship of God. When God did such a deep work in lives That somehow or other they were delivered from pride. At the very beginning of their Christian life. Broken at the start. Understanding that it was the grace and mercy and favor of the Lord that had saved. And that by saving us the Lord has only introduced a load of trouble to himself. Any child of God who thinks that they are doing the Lord a great favor in following the Lord. My dear friends, you don't know anything about the gospel of the kingdom. Now, let me put this quite clearly again. God has not given up on his original purpose. Not only to have his king, not only to have the kingdom, but to share that kingship with others. He intends to establish his kingdom, his king. And those who will reign with him. Isn't that wonderful? I think it is anyway. And I think of wonderful scriptures. I won't be coming back to these. Perhaps some of the other brothers will. But I think of one when it says that we've already quoted it. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he shall reign forever endeavor. And then I think of that wonderful little chapter in Isaiah. Now when I was first saved I was always told, I've always remembered this because it was when I was very very first saved and I was only 12 years of age and I'd never read my Bible, never been in a place of worship. And I remember being told if the Bible ever repeats something, it is very significant. And this wonderful little chapter in Isaiah chapter 2, I shall read just a little part of it to you. And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Lord and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will decide concerning many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. These words are repeated word for word in Micah chapter 4. This is the purpose of God to establish his kingdom on the earth. It is a literal kingdom that is coming. He is going to decide over the nations. It's not just to do with the saved. It is to do also with the nations of the earth. God is going to vindicate his truth, ultimately, before all the nations. And I think of another wonderful scripture, just as remarkable in my estimation, and it's in Isaiah and chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse. And a branch out of his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so on. This is the Lord Jesus. This is God's King. Now listen to the Western. From verse 6, and the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Can you imagine it? And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the viper. And and the wean child will put his hand on the cobras. dead. They shall not hurt nor destroy. In all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. What a prospect. That is the purpose of God. To establish this. Now my dear friends. Here is the good news. God has already his king. That king is Jesus, God's messianic king, born of the royal sea, born according to the prophecy in Bethlehem Ephrata, according to that word, Thou Bethlehem Ephrata, which art little amongst the thousands of Judah, out of thee shall come forth he that shall be a ruler of my people Israel, whose goings have been from of old, from everlasting. Here then is God's king. He was born king of the Jews. Wise men came from the east inquiring, where is he that is born king of the Jews? You know the story. People sometimes speak of the Lord Jesus in a quite false way. I speak of his humanity. They speak of him as a peasant. As some kind of artisan. It is true he was a carpenter. He grew up in very humble, pressurized circumstances. But there was not a drop of blood in his veins that was not royal. He was the king. When he came forth for his public messianic ministry, he was acclaimed everywhere. And I don't know whether most people who read their Bibles without a background uh, to it would understand. You remember blind Bartimaeus? Do you remember what he said? Son of David, have mercy upon me. Why son of David? Why not son of man? Why not rabbi? Why son of David? It came again and again and again. People said son of David. It was as if they were saying crown prince, crown prince. They knew it was Jesus. They knew that he was of the royal seed. That he belonged to the tribe of Judah. That he was of the royal house of David. That he was great David's greater son. I could say very much more on this subject. Because you see the genealogical tables were extant in the time. And if the chief priests and that ecclesiastical mafia had really wanted to destroy Jesus, they could have said to people, come to the registry and we will prove to you that this man is not royal. He is not of the royal seed. We have all the genealogical tables extant. They never once mentioned it. What they did say to Pilate was, he says, he is a king. And when Jesus was crucified, there was only one title nailed above his head. Could have put Jesus of Nazareth, Savior of the world. It would have been right, but they didn't. They could have said Jesus of Nazareth, Prince of Peace, but they didn't. They could have put all kinds of things. Like Jesus of Nazareth. He said he was the king of kings and lord of lords. But they didn't. They put Jesus of Nazareth. The king of the Jews. When God raised him. He vindicated his messiahship and his kingship. And this means that at the right hand of God. Stands the king. Head of the church. King of kings and lord of lords. Ruler of the kings of the earth. And still king of Israel. That's why he returns to Jerusalem. My dear friends. I have never had an adequate explanation as to why Jesus is going to return to Jerusalem. Where at the present time there are less believers. Than in any of the capital cities of the world. Well... Here we are, God has his king. That's good news. As far as I'm concerned, it's good news. Because this king is a savior. That's why. This king is not some great king exhibit exhibiting his royal majesty, exhibiting his royal power, dressed in all the regalia, wanting, as so often people can imagine, kings on this side of the Atlantic, sort of there to be admired and sort of looked at and... Oh, Wonderful. Marvelous. I'd love to be a king. Sitting there with nothing to do. With an orb in one hand and a crown on the head. And and so people have got the idea that's what it's going to be in the kingdom. Come, you're going to have an orb in one hand, a scepter in the other, and a crown on the head. You can hardly move and you'll just stand there. (laughs) Sitting on some throne while all the angels admire. Oh, my dear friends, it's so stupid. The biblical idea of kingship is service. It's servanthood. The king is the servant of the Lord. That is the character of kingship. And that's why when you and I begin to see Jesus in this way, we discover he's not just some potentate, some majestic personage who has an aura of mystery around him. This is the one who washed his disciples' feet. This is the one who loved them to the end. This is the one who knew that Judas was a swindler and still loved him. This is the one who loved you and gave himself for you. My dear friend, There's nobody else in the whole world who is more worthy to sit upon God's throne. Here is a character of kingship that means utter humility, utter brokenness, absolute service. God has his king. Praise his holy name. Many other things we could say, but I only touch on it. Here is the second thing. God intends to share this kingship of Jesus with others. Now, I know that I want to put a word of warning in here. Jesus is unique. In my estimation, he's unique. I have known him now for quite a few years. And I find the Lord Jesus absolutely unique. I don't want to take away the Lord Jesus. I shudder sometimes when I hear the Lord Jesus spoken of as a thing, as if he's an it, as if he's only a life, a power, an agency, an instrument. My dear friends, this marvellous Lord Jesus is a person. It is amazing to get to know him, to walk with him, to hear him. This Jesus. He is unique. But God still intends to share his kingship with others. Jesus, it is said of Jesus in the letter to the Hebrews, that he shall bring many sons unto glory. Yes, my dear friends, we've been made priests, kings and priests unto God. A kingship, and priest to God, isn't that wonderful? Well, we have to finish, but you see, it's almost hard to finish, isn't it? When once you start on this, because to me, this is good news. I think it's absolutely marvelous. Here am I, a rotten little troublemaker. As far as God is concerned, I don't think I try to make trouble with you. But I, 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 as far as God is concerned, I'm a troublemaker. I'm always troubling him. Poor, poor Lord, I feel so sorry at times. I misunderstand him, I misread him, I misinterpret him, and he has to lift me up. Sometimes he has to whack me with his rod. Sometimes he has to lift me up. And what a lot of trouble I am to that that wonderful Lord. But my dear friends, he intends me to be a king. I can hardly believe it. I can hardly believe it. He wants me to come to his throne. Isn't that amazing? To share his throne, to sit with him on his throne. Not, as I've said, in some way to be admired, but to, with him, administer the purpose and will of God in the ages to come. Dear, dear child of God, I find this amazing. I would like to stop and talk about the city of God, and that's the very last thing in the whole Bible, isn't it? And a capital city is all to do with government and authority, and the, and the executing of national policy. That bride is a city. Isn't it amazing? Here I discover that at the very end of the Bible, look at the Bible, it begins with a wedding. Adam and Eve, it ends with a wedding, the lamb and the wife of the lamb, and in the midst of it is two little books that most people don't really understand. Liberal theologians call one of them a bawdy love ditty. One is called Ecclesiastes, and the other is called the Song of Songs. Open your Bible in the middle, and what do you find? The Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes you find, if we understand the Jew- believe the Jewish tradition, Solomon, Solomon did everything, and all he said was vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Emptiness, emptiness, all is emptiness. Uselessness, uselessness, all is uselessness. And some Christians say, I don't think this book should be in the the Bible. (laughs) I mean, it's the most amazing book. It says, don't be too righteous. And don't be too wicked. (laughs) Because in the end, you're going to die anyway. And you think, oh, this isn't, this isn't, oh, this this isn't, like the rest of the book. It's wrong. And even the rabbis argued and argued and argued about the little book of Ecclesiastes. Should it be in? Should it not be in? Should it be in? Should it not be in? (laughs) And finally they said it should be in. But the Song of Solomon is altogether different. If we understand the Jewish tradition, it was a vision God gave to Solomon of the love between God and his covenant people. And you know, the whole thing is an education. God takes that girl, and he delivers her, and he brings her into a relationship with herself, and then she becomes complacent, then he leaves her, then she goes out to find him, and then she finds him, and now she's on a deeper level, and then he leaves her again, and she goes out, and in the end they're forever together. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Uselessness, uselessness, all is uselessness. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon ought to know. He built parks, he had zoos, he had botanical gardens, he had farms, he had palaces. He had a thousand wives. He ought to know what he was talking about. (laughs) But when we come to the Song of Songs, it's value, value. All is value purposefulness, purposefulness, all is purposefulness. Here in the heart of your Bible, the Bible begins with the wedding, it ends with the wedding, and in the middle of your Bible is a wedding. What's it all about? Unless it is that God longs that you and I should come to the throne of the Lamb. As if he longs that you and I should share in the kingship of Jesus. That we should be those who can reign with him. My dear friends, that's good news. And here is the last point of this good news. How can we get there? Not by our works. Not by our zeal. Not by our devotion, not by our religious knowledge, but by his grace. That is the good news of the kingdom. This lamb gave himself for us. This king became the sin bearer. This Jesus is the one through whom you and I are justified in the sight of God. Declared righteous. Given an eternal foundation so that you and I can become kings with him. That is good news. Not only has he saved us. But he has provided us with the wherewithal, the power, the wisdom, the grace. That you and I should not only be saved, but that we should come to the throne of God. Here then is the good news of the kingdom. Jesus went everywhere preaching this good news of the kingdom. He turned his known world upside down. And it is interesting that in that great discourse on his second coming, it is said "And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the nations, in the whole world, for a testimony to all nations. And then shall the end come. My dear friends, isn't it an amazing thing that you and I have been saved? I think it's such a privilege in these days of confusion, of turmoil, of convulsion, so much that's happening, that you and I, by the grace of God, have been saved. It is the grace of God. Then we stand in his presence. We've, we've entered the race. We've entered his school. We've entered his education. His discipline. is good news as far as I'm concerned. May the Lord make it true to us all. Shall we have a word of prayer? Beloved Lord. Beloved Lord. We need that spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the knowledge of the Lord Jesus to be granted to us. We've been considering this whole matter of. The gospel of your kingdom. Lord, let that shaft of divine light shine right into our hearts, Lord. Bring us to a new understanding of this amazing position that you brought us into. This amazing status that you've given us. You have saved us. With an everlasting salvation. You have justified us in your sight. Through the work of the Lord Jesus at Calvary. Dear Father. For us it's good news. Now Lord bring that home to every one of us. We might begin in a new way to understand what it is in this world. Which Lord is so filled with Ideas contrary to your truth and to your word. Bring us to a new place of understanding. And bring us, Lord, to a new experience of your kingship. Lord, help us. We are so foolish. We argue with you. We rebel against you. We often misunderstand you, Lord, altogether. Lord, deal with us. In love and in mercy. That we may be those who come absolutely under your kingship, especially in these days. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.